Hello, and welcome to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I, as always, am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me is... Catherine. And we've returned. We've returned from the wilds after our discussion of Doom 2005 to address uh, a more recent exercise. Very recent. In in cinematic schlockery. (laughs) Um, Namely, 65. The, 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 the somewhat strangely titled Adam Driver vehicle um, with a twist, uh, an immediate twist. So I don't even know if you can call it a twist, a twist so readily spoiled by the marketing department that it might as well not even be a twist. Um, but, I called it, though. You know, my daughter did, too. She turned to me as the credits were getting ready to roll, which is where the twist is fully revealed. And she's like, is he on Earth? Is that, is that this yep. movie? And I was like, yep, you got it. <laughs> I shrugged my shoulders, but yeah. million years. That's a very, that's, right. that's an ominous number to choose for your title. That's right. Uh, and one that many, many, you know, in the scientific community picked up on that. They've actually placed it closer to 66 million years ago that the, that all this happened. But Anyway, you know, that's not the number that all the kids know when it comes to the dinosaurs. Because we've all seen Jurassic Park, right? And that's how you get a dinosaur. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mr. DNA. God, I love <laughs> I know, right? Just watch Jurassic Park. I mean, all of these movies, unfortunately, exist within the shadow of Jurassic Park. There, like, that there is were a the lot problem. of, there were just immediate references. And it. I don't mind when movies do that mm-hmm. as long as the movie is good enough that I don't just start fantasizing about watching Jurassic Park because it's yeah, really I mean, it's... easy for me to do that. I love that movie. Everybody loves that movie. Show me a person who doesn't love Jurassic Park and I will launch them into the sun. <laughs> the only people who don't love it are the people who haven't seen it or were forced to consume it through some kind of ironic lens, you know, yeah. or maybe they were forced to watch it in school or something. <laughs> like, I hate that movie. I watched it in my seventh period English class and it sucked uh, or whatever. But, but so this, uh, so this movie, this big dinosaur movie, uh, starring one Kylo Ren, uh, 65 is, is, it exists in this lovely space that as we've discussed on this, this podcast many times is a space that is disappearing from film. And that is, you know, what would have been called in the fifties and sixties, the, the B movie, right? Not the a movie, not the big studio swinger, but the, the, the smaller, let's say more nimble exercise in, you know, putting together a a cool project. Right. And, that doesn't happen as much anymore, right? We have the low budget realm. We've got your Jason Blooms out there just bloomhousing it up, you know, giving people $15 million or whatever, and then saying, just go make me a movie. I don't care what it is. I'll market the ever loving crap out of it and I'll make it a success. By God, I'll go out in the street and I'll drag those teenagers in by their freaking Jinkos. <laughs> I don't care, right? Like that's Jason, that's the Bloomhouse model. Um, and it's it's successful. It's proven to be workable. Um, this is is a scale up from that, right? And this is the one. These are the ones that are disappearing, right? Not the twenty million dollars safe bets. The fifty million dollar bet, 
is the one that's getting tougher and tougher to make work in Hollywood. And unfortunately, uh, 65 didn't work. Uh, it came out earlier this year. Uh, it was, was sort of decimated by Scream 6 in its opening weekend, which should have, I mean, I guess you could sort of classify this as counter-programming for something like St- uh, Scream 6, but that seems like you're just directly cannibalizing the audience that might go to this by going up against that. Um, but it's, it, it didn't do well at the box office. It barely made its budget back. Um, there are conflicting reports about how much it cost. Supposedly it was 90 million was actual production budget, but they, they utilized so many tax credits that they got the budget down to closer to 45, but who knows? I will say this does, if it was 45, if that was the final tally tax credits, whatever, this looks way better than most other $45 million movies. Like I think the, the qualities that it's able to achieve for that are, are pretty fantastic. But yeah, this is this is B movie. It's schlock. Like this is this is a schlocky idea. It's sort of schlockily executed, right? Like it's just. But at the same time, as I was watching it and as it finished, I was like, that was kind of fun, though. Like it's a really watchable it, movie. I think so. I mean, it's it's not it's not um excellent, right? I mean, there are certainly weaknesses. In its like I'm, cinematography. Yeah, like I made you know fun I mean? of it the whole time. Sure. But I didn't yeah. ever wish that I could end my viewing session. I didn't I didn't feel like I wasted my time. I was like, well, that was fun. Yeah, it, it was it was a good experience. So let's talk a bit about the production history, which um, you know, this I don't think this is out on physical media yet. I watched it on streaming. Um so I'd actually this is when I'd be curious to see some behind the scenes stuff and sort of how it was done. Because, again, it, it looks very simple on the surface. You know, they went to a forest in Louisiana and just had Adam Driver run around for a long time, right? Um, and that's kind of it. And that's okay. You know, that's that's a way to sort of get a movie like this done. But uh, this was written by Beck and Woods, um, who at this point have done some stuff, but are most famous by far for being the original screenwriters on A Quiet Place. Mm. Uh, which itself is sort of B-level schlock. I think it got elevated a little bit, but but here's the thing um, with A Quiet Place that I, at least as far as I know, is that Beck and Woods submitted the original script. Um, it went into the studio system. John Krasinski was looking for a directing project. He read that script and said, I want to do this. But then as far as I know, I'm pretty sure he kind of rewrote the whole thing. Um, now obviously not enough that Beck and Woods would be removed from the screenplay. It's still their idea. You know, I think the idea of, of a, a, uh, a hearing impaired child combating demons who chase you or aliens, whatever, who chase you when you make noise. I think that core concept remained, but I think the emphasis on the family and, and a lot of that stuff came from Krasinski. So it's hard to say that the quiet place success was as a direct result of Beck and Woods. I would kind of say like it was, you know, maybe a 30, 70 kind of thing, but you get a hit movie under your belt. You get your name on that credit line. You get opportunities to do stuff. And so 65, I'm guessing was like their 
you know, top right drawer screenplay. <laughs> it was like, cause somebody at the studio obviously would have gone, what else you got? And they pull out, Oh, we got this. This is a guy fighting dinosaurs. And they were like, Hmm, interesting. And, and then maybe it went from there, but so we're, we're getting this and it was heavily marketed as the guys from a quiet place. <laughs> you know, so the like guys whose really, names you don't know. Yeah. The guys who wrote a quiet place who you aren't familiar with, they came up with this. Uh, but this time they're directing and writing. So they're, they're covering both. Um, the, the thing that shocked me was that the mainline producer, the first producer credit is Sam Raimi, which, huh? Hmm. Right. Just, okay. Uh, I guess it is easy to forget that Raimi productions, one of the, the uh, Raimi production companies, cause they've got like Renaissance pictures. They've got a bunch of different ones really. Um, but Raimi Productions has actually kind of been in the background, steadily producing mid-level horror and sci-fi projects for the last 20-ish years, right? Yeah. Uh, the I series uh, yeah. was all him. The Grudge series, as we talked about, is is all Raimi. Um, uh, the 30 Days of Night adaptation that we'll definitely do on this show at some point because I hate love it so much. <laughs> uh, I, I love both- it because that comic book was so good. I hate yeah. it because why? Because and and because Josh Hartnett. Why? <laughs> like, why? Why Josh why, Hartnett? <laughs> why Josh Hartnett? He was he so popular. And so why? Popular. I look back and I don't understand it. Why did we make him popular? Well, he, if you remember, he cut his own hair there for a while. I, I don't, because I, I don't, don't remember I, anything about him. <laughs> I don't know why I remember this this factoid. From this time period, I have no idea, but it's it's so clear in my mind that because he was in the faculty, right? The the Robert Rodriguez uh, space alien invasion movie, body snatchers movie. And and I remember seeing an art, a a thing with him because his hair in that movie is terrible, like it's cut badly. But he's supposed to be this like latchkey kid where his parents don't take care of him anymore. He's basically living by himself. And so he. Hartnett was living like in his car in Los Angeles when he got that job and he was cutting his own hair at the time. And, and apparently one of the producers noted like, Hey, your hair looks just like perfect for this character. And, and I just remember this like anecdote from some dumb MTV, you know, news interview from 1994 or whatever. But yeah, no. Um, so it, it forever, Josh Hartnett will just be the guy who rose to popularity because he was capable of cutting his own hair. Well, I but have so, cut my own bangs many times. Why am I not famous? I know, right? I mean, is that all that's required? You just need to show up to an audition and cut your hair in front of them and be like, look. And I'll have look you know what I can do. I look like a huge loser when I cut my own bang. So <laughs> I I know so there are plenty bangs. of roles for losers. Where are it's they? true. Yeah. Where where's my fifteen? Where's my big break? So Raimi's producing. This is definitely in Raimi's wheelhouse right this this like mid-budgeted interesting sci-fi concept maybe it hits maybe it doesn't who knows this is the kind of these are the kind of dice rolls that Raimi apparently enjoys um, because he's been making them for a long time with his production company so Beck and Woods directing and writing Raimi producing along with other people he's not the sole producer but he's First, so he put up the most money. That's generally how those credits go. And and then we somehow get Adam Driver attached to this, which I'm that is the biggest question mark for me. Um, 
I, I did see an interview with him on Kimmel or something where he said that he hadn't really made, he, he was kind of almost seemed to be referring to this as kind of like a, a for everybody movie, like a, a, a family film. Um, what so you it, mean it, marriage it, story isn't a family <laughs> film? I know. Right. I mean, like, what are you telling me that white noise isn't something <laughs> that you can take a teenager to? Uh, but it seemed like he was he was actively trying in in the post Star Wars landscape to make a movie that he could take his family to and everybody could kind of watch. Um, and I get that right. I mean, for you know, Driver has sort of positioned himself as this kind of like premium actor. I mean, if you want to call it that, like he picks prestige projects. Like he had those two movies with Ridley Scott, where he <laughs> in a single year where he was playing like a guy from the Gucci family and then a dude like historical drama that got cheated on by his wife or something. Anyway, like, you know, he, he's, he's become this very like go-to dependable high end prestige actor. And, and I could see wanting to sort of flex those schlock muscles, right? Just a little bit. Um, I, I did see that he, I, I don't know how true this is, let me also say driver was very vocal about a negative, what a negative experience the star Wars films were. He did not enjoy that at all by all accounts uh, the fandom of it, the experience of making them just not enjoyable experiences, which I can totally understand because the sequel trilogy is, is a nightmare. And we got, we got my man, Dave Filoni out here, just fixing it all in Mandalorian season three. Yeah. Dude is working overtime to try and make the sequel trilogy make sense. And, uh, even if it doesn't work, I applaud him for his efforts. Well done, sir. But, you know, didn't have a good time, but apparently he has been offered the role of uh, Mr. Fantastic in whatever Fantastic Four movie is happening. Uh, please which, don't do it. Which I think is is interesting. I can't I kind of can't believe it's true because he was so vocal about much how much he hated this the whole Star Wars thing. But who knows? Again, when when Marvel backs the money truck up to the house and says, look at all the money, it's very difficult to say no. Um, For a working actor, from what I understand, a Marvel, a lead role in a Marvel film, even a middling to mediocre one. The residuals alone, you're kind of set for life. Like you're just kind of good. But at the same time, every single Fantastic Four movie has been bad. Yes. Like, um, and not just bad, yeah. really bad. <laughs> yes. Nobody likes them. Um, anytime yeah. someone has tried to redeem them, like, you know, those people on Twitter who are like, it was a good movie, actually. I think that everyone is just too mean to it. Those people have been bullied into leaving <laughs> yeah. the internet. Right. And for, and for good reason. You know, I'm not pro-bullying, even, but... Even the pure so. Michael Chiklis fan accounts. They can't yeah. survive. Um, yeah, it's Fantastic Four is a really hard thing to get right because it's a team. And they it's suck. A team <laughs> that is compri- it's a team that's comprised of family members for the most part. So that's another sort of odd d- dynamic laid over the top of it. Um, it it's, it's just it's really diff- it's, it is a surprisingly apparently apparently. A surprisingly difficult story mix. Not even Chris Evans could do it. And you know, I love Chris Evans. He was working as hard as he could. Anything. And he still sucked. (laughs) He wasn't a good, he wasn't a good Johnny Storm. 
Like that's just not how I've ever seen Johnny Storm. I mean, he got the the uh, the cockiness of it, maybe, but who knows? Maybe I don't know. But so anyway, anyway yeah. maybe it maybe Adam Driver is ready to go back to the wheel of schlock, take his spins, get his paydays, make his weird dinosaur movies, and just <laughs> move on. Maybe he's reached that phase. It's hard to know. Um, I will say he's working very hard to give this movie some kind of emotional heft. Um, he's trying to give it weight, even though it, by the very by its very nature, this is an unserious project, right? I feel so, like the, I mean, we'll talk more about it, but I I feel like the emotion was maybe a bit over the top. Very much so. Yes. Like there's that one, there's a shot of him. Um, I get, well, okay, we'll, we'll get into it, but yes, there, there are some moments here that feel even for Adam driver, who generally I feel is, is so close to overacting. I feel like his skill as an actor really is that he gets right up to the line of being a melodramatic overactor. And then he can just stay right on the other side of it. Just, just enough that you feel like this is a real emotion. Um, and that, that is challenging, right? It's hard to be that big and still hold on enough to the emotion that's being expressed as an actor that you don't go so far and like, Oh, it's we're in soap opera territory now, right? Like it's, it's a challenging thing to do. And I feel like he does it well. I think maybe some of his just like natural stoicism because he's just a big dude like i think it's really easy to forget that adam driver's like six four and stacked like a tank he's got a lot of shoulder he's a big he's a big shoulder actor right he's a john wayne shoulder actor but at the same time he can have feelings and we're just not used to that as a society that's true that's all true um it's all true i mean we've done it to ourselves (laughs) you've got big shoulders boy i don't want to see you crying Put down damp. Oh, you gonna get your diapers out, huh? Anyway, uh, so this uh, this film is built, as we said, on a, a sort of interesting sci-fi premise that a presumable, presumably a human from another planet, at some point in the distant past, where this this race or races were advanced enough to travel the stars and to uh, speak perfect English in perfect American English. accents. Right. Um, is knocked off course by a uncharted asteroid field and crash lands on a mysterious planet that is very quickly over the title card revealed to be earth 65 million years ago. So, this movie has some very big asks right from the start, right? So, and we're mostly given this, um, I don't know if you got, you're, you're a big No Man's Sky player. Oh, uh, yeah. Listener, if you're not familiar, there's a very popular video game called No Man's Sky, which is really this sort of like space exploration simulator. But one of the cool things of it is like you sort of, as you're loading into the game, you're sort of flying through the galaxy, right? And you're sort of passing solar systems and is this really neat effect. This just a sort of fancy loading screen. But the opening of this movie is just that we're kind of like zooming into our galaxy sort of past all of these big nebula, get a little shot of the horseshoe nebula. I think they could have captured it right the, from the game. The, 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 the well, no, it's the three pillars is the pillars of God. Like what are the, what is that one called? 
I forget that big nebula that gets yeah. photographed all the time. But anyway, you sort of pass that, and then we come to another planet, and I forget the names, like some Sam- Samarsis or something. Samaris. There we go. Uh, which again definitely isn't that. a reference to definitely not a reference to Solaris. Um <laughs> another much better <laughs> much better space film. Um you know, who knows? But the we we see this planet, we're there with Adam Driver and he is contemplating I mean, I guess he's like a long haul trucker, basically. I mean, I think that's what he is. He's like an he's like a an outer space limousine driver. Yeah. You know? yeah. He has to take all these to people to and fro. He's like transporting people in stasis, yeah. but while he stays awake and, you know, navigates and, and flies the ship and whatever. They just get to it's, have sleepy time. Right. They sleep. And, you know, nothing happens, but he, you know, is, is forced to endure the time alone or, or seemingly so. And so he um, is contemplating leaving. His daughter has an illness, and the money that they get from this this trip will provide the mother with the ability to treat her while they're gone. Uh, So again, even in this advanced society, health insurance just sucks butt, you know, obviously. You know, taxes, Um, salary, health insurance. These are all the concerns of alien civilizations everywhere. So, 65 million years ago. So 65 really million years ago. <laughs> so we really haven't solved anything. <laughs> We've just made it worse. Uh, and so we we flash forward. It's a year later, something along those lines, year and a half, something like that. And uh, he, uh, you know, Adam Driver's character, Mills, is all we, we ever know him as, is in some kind of like, he almost looks like he's in a kind of drunken stupor and he's asleep in his cabin when, you know, they they hit these asteroids and I, you know, the, the whole concept is, is that, you know, did you get the impression that he was sort of like sleeping on the job kind of thing? Like, I I, I don't know. I mean, obviously if you're the only pilot, you would have to sleep sometime, but I assumed that he was in a Matthew McConaughey, like haze of depression over not being with his family. That yes, very much so. Very interstellar in that quality. But so the ship crashes and the crash is, is spectacular. Um, I, I think it's pretty well done for the most part. The design of the ship is also pretty cool. I love as it when a, things crash. <laughs> yeah. As an aficionado of ship designs and, and sort of cool spacey stuff, I thought that the ship design looked pretty neat. A bit aggressive for a, a you know, people. It looks like a transport. battleship. I mean, it's got yeah. more of a, a, Star Trekky kind of look to it, whereas you would think that I don't know. I I always wonder why we go for aerodynamic ship designs for outer space because they yeah, can just, just be a block. They can just be know? squares. Yeah, like the Borg cube always, is actually one of exactly. the best designed spaceships. That's <laughs> what I loved about the Borg cube is like, yes, it's we're just in space. A cube. Doesn't it's just a cube? It doesn't have to be aerodynamic. Like if you want to make your shit look cool in space, that's fine. But sure. understand, you're not getting any kind of benefit. Or like the Sulaco, um, where it just looks like a gun. Yeah, it's just a big gun. <laughs> we're just gonna go and shoot things with our ship. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, then the 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 uh, ship crashes. We you know we get title card sixty five million years ago. Earth. Dun, 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 dun. And 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 now we get what amounts to a fairly straightforward story of survival, right? These people have to get off. We have a very clear 
set up for their escape, that one of the escape pods um, was separated from the ship but not destroyed. And if they can make it to the escape pod, they can get back into space and presumably be picked up by some kind of rescue right? at some point. Um, how that would work, if, if the rescue is that close, why was he needing to do this super long haul trucker in space for two years thing anyway? Like, you know, whatever. The mechanics of, of 65 million years ago space travel are somewhat unclear and nebulous, and it's best if you just don't ask these questions. But one of the things that I love about B-movies, especially what I would call like a pure B-movie, because a lot of elevated B-movies like Alien, that's that's like a different class of film than this. And I, I know we're getting like really technical here. But to be frank, the movies that transcend their B status either because of you know directing skill, acting skill, production design, you know, whatever, or a combination of all three, really. You know, that's that's not really what this is. Like I, I don't feel like it's good enough to transcend the the B label to like the so bad it's good kind of thing. It's not that. Uh, like this movie is genuinely good. It's not so bad that it's like, oh, this is pretty solid. Like, it's this entertaining. Is good, this is a good, entertaining, straightforward film, but it doesn't elevate itself to that sort of cult classic status that something like the thing did right um it might i mean this i mean i could totally see this being somebody's you know favorite movie you know you're like yeah, they're people's 12 standards have gone way down so <laughs> that is possible it's kind of tr- well i mean uh, we're also the reason why the b movie is dying is because there's so much being produced now like yeah. we have there there isn't just a couple of tiers of film, right? I mean, there's straight up like F tier trash films. Yeah, like it's to the point where you and I could make a know? movie in a weekend with right. shit and, we bought and, at a Best Buy. And we could get that shit on Tubi. Yeah. Right? Like we could sell that oh, shit to Tubi. Tubi's like the dream. Could, yeah, I mean, Tubi, Freebie, like who, Pluto TV, whatever. <laughs> like somebody would air that shit, you know? I mean, because you could go on there and you look at all the like the horror stuff. And it's like, I watched a movie that was just, it was four teenagers in a house and there was a doll there and the doll Uh, might've been evil. And that was it. It was 90 minutes. And it was like, there were some people who might rob the place, but then they didn't. Like it was, it was unbearable. And here's this thing streaming on, you know, Tubi or whatever. So we've got all this content and it's just like, the content that is trying to get to that like big budget theatrical level that seems to sort of dominate now, there's no like wiggle room for that stuff anymore. Like it's either, it's either high, you know, it's okay. uh, Let me say this. It seems like we've got more and more content now that really from a quality standpoint cannot be considered a level, but we've got critical standards so high that, even stuff that's pretty good is immediately labeled as worthless garbage. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, I understand that your critical standards should be high for what you're, you're suggesting people go invest their time and money in. But I'm going to be super honest, man. Like this to me was as fun as Ant-Man quantum mania. Like I had just as good a time watching it. Um, if not a little more, honestly, and and that and Ant Man, I mean, yeah, critically it was kind of panned, but that movie made like five hundred million dollars or some shit, you know, because it's Ant Man. 
And so like, I don't, I, and then again, I'm not holding up like Marvel films as top tier because they, they really aren't, but in term, but like the critical reception for that movie was fine. Right. Like this one got lambasted. It's like 35%. And Ant-Man had like, I think even Ant-Man being relatively uh, disliked. I think it was like 50 something 47. So, I mean, you know, like it, that kind of stuff bugs me a little bit because it's like, this is, this is definitely on the same level for me as, as an ant man. Right. Like this is, this is sort of in the same place. Whereas this one, I respect a little bit more because they didn't have the resources. I mean, Ant-Man costs like $400 million or some crazy shit like that. You know, this movie is a 10th of its budget and still yeah. managed to be entertaining. You know. Yeah, I, I admit when I heard the the budget range for this movie, it it is surprisingly good for being made so cheaply. Um, I will say uh, the effects aren't great, particularly no, when it comes to effects, the creatures. Yeah, yeah. they um, don't look great, but that's hard to do. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big ask and they're not doing purely. So when he lands on the planet, of course, what he discovers is there are aliens, quote unquote, aliens from his perspective, haha, <laughs> get it. Um, that are dinosaurs running around that are murderous, dangerous. And, and, you know, he has limited technology in which to deal with them or with which to deal with them. And, and of course they're dinosaurs, right? So he is fighting dinosaurs throughout this movie. And we see several of the, you know, the popular brands, right? We've got some Velociraptors, we've got some Compsognathus, you know, like if you saw them in a Jurassic Park, they're probably in this movie too. Slightly different designs, slightly different variations. Um, which they, again, they still have that very Jurassic Parky look where they look more like lizards than, than bird lizards. Um, Which my son did call out. He's like, I, well, I mean, I appreciate like the designs and stuff, but they should have like more feathers. Yeah, than this. like the yeah. I I called that out too. So me and your young son are intellectually in the same place, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> because I was like, why don't they look like birds? I thought we right. agreed that Jurassic Park was the only one that got to do the lizards because afterward we discovered they don't really look like that. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's I mean that's the thing. It's really it's hard to make a movie about dinosaurs. Because we know a lot, but there's still like just a ton we don't know because you had to be there. And this movie does a serviceable job. But yeah, the the creatures didn't look fantastic. Um, yes, they're they're pretty middling. I think in some ways it would have been better if they had tried to differentiate their creature designs from the more traditional Jurassic Park style. Right. I agree. Um, I, I think that would have been better for them because it's not as it wouldn't have been an easy would have been as easy to just try and one to one compare it, you know, um, although I will say that they do some more things with their movement, like the they're more bi, uh, bipedal in this one, like even the, their Tyrannosaur, you know, sort of has like a or, or what one of the main ones they fight is more like walking on four legs instead of two, you know, kind of thing. And and I'm sure there are some other, there were some who were saying that maybe it was an Edmontosaurus was that one um, instead of a T-Rex. Like he does fight some T-Rexes at the end for sure. But then there's some other ones too. This, um, 
the dinosaurs with this engage in one of my biggest pet peeves about anything, and this includes Jurassic Park. The that dinosaurs, along with other animals that are not cute, are always depicted as being kind of evil. <laughs> yeah, like, there's never just a dinosaur that's just like getting through the day. Yeah, you, know? you don't you don't ever see the dinosaurs just like in in the the sense that they are just animals. We always couch them as villains. <laughs> it's like right, they I, have murderous intent. Like you know? we don't. Yeah. That that's that's just not possible. They were so stupid. They died of really stupid things and doing right. stupid things. And there's no way that they could have malice. <laughs> like they just they just didn't. So there were several points in this movie, just like in Jurassic Park, where I I feel like, you know, I don't think the dinosaurs would have been angry with you. <laughs> right. I don't think that yeah, they had I mean, the capacity to they feel have, anger. <laughs> right. They would have just forgotten you and moved yeah. on and found another piece of prey. Um, you know, I, yes, I, I think that's just the nature of movie magic where you have to have some kind of stakes. And if it was just like this, I mean, honestly, the, the climax of this movie, if the creature had like made some kind of eye contact with Adam driver and then like looked up, as we're like, oh shit, asteroids, and they just <laughs> ran away. I would have been so happy. I would have been like, that's great, that's awesome. Like, because because any creature, no matter how, like if how he's smart enough to hold revenge. a grudge, then surely he's smart enough to notice that there's a huge fucking asteroid headed toward <laughs> the planet. Ball of flame that is high. You know, that seems close. Uh, you know, it, it was it was kind of interesting, but uh, so yes, ultimately they crash. Uh, Mills, uh, Adam Driver's character, crashes on the planet. He survives the impact. Most of the the people in stasis that he was carrying are either ejected or dead, uh, according to the ship's computer. And and he is is basically uh, he's not handling this well. And we see a couple of scenes illustrating that. But then we find out that uh, there is a survivor, a lone survivor from the the passengers, and it is a young girl. Played by uh, was it Ariana Greenblatt, I think her name, and uh, and so that's our setup. I mean, this movie has five actors in it, five credited actors, um, including the uh, wife and daughter that he leaves behind on yeah. uh, Samaras. That's that's low. Even my kids, uh, I, I know I've mentioned them a bunch, but even my daughter was like, "There were only five people in that movie." And I was like, "Yeah." Yeah, like that's honestly in in today's filmmaking market, that's one of the easiest ways to keep your budget low is to have as few actors in it as possible. You know, um, I'm, I'm sure Adam Driver still got a very significant payday. I'm sure his his salary was a large chunk of this. But um, as a result, you know, we get this very focused picture. So uh, let's let's go ahead and just dive into spoilers uh, again i i think even at this stage if any of the stuff that we've talked about you have like a, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting i would just go check this out like it's totally worth watching it is not a terrible experience uh i, I will say that the the middle of it is a, a little slow um it reminded me a bit of uh and i know on some of our tv episodes in the past i've talked about the lost in space tv series on netflix and one of the things I love about that series is, is it just has this sort of like 
compounding complications, right? So something goes wrong and then they, they solve that problem or come close to solving that problem. And then something else goes wrong and now they have a new problem to solve and then something else, you know, it's just this sort of, it, it's a really cool structure for that series because it keeps the ball moving. Like they've constantly got to like, Oh, we've got to solve this problem. Now we've got to solve this problem. And the middle of this movie felt a lot like that to me where it's like, we have our goal and then it's just compounding complications that are preventing us from reaching our goal. So that is a little, you know, so that makes the middle of this film feel a bit samey because it's really just like, Oh, Oh, he fell out of a tree and dislocated his shoulder. Oh, he, you know, busted this piece of technology that they need. Now, what are you going to do? Oh, now they're trapped in this cave and they need to escape. You know, it's just kind of like keeps rolling like that. So I will say, well, let's note before we, we sign off and get to spoilers, this movie is a blissful, a glorious 93 minutes running time. <sighs> and if, if there is one thing that, that this movie succeeds on brilliantly is that it doesn't overstay its welcome. This 93 minute film is exactly as long as it needs to be. And it's great because we don't, because we don't have to endure two and a half hours of this, which I think would have made this movie interminable. Yeah. Like this movie would be terrible if it was that long. Well, especially considering that the main character and the other main character don't speak the same language, so they can't actually talk to each other. So dialogue yeah. in this is pretty minimal. And I think if you made it any longer, you would have to create more moments between them that would just not be possible because they can't talk to each other. They can't talk to each other. Yeah. And we don't get the, and they're not really in this situation long enough for them to learn it. Yeah. Like they kind of come to understand each other, but their translator or whatever that they would normally use is broken. So, uh, so yes, uh, the, the child comes from, I think he says what the Northern territories or something, something like that. And so he can't understand her without the use of a translator and, and whatever. So, um, but this is a pretty solid movie. It's a short watch, 90 minutes and out. It's decent special effects, a solid lead performance from Adam driver, some decent action, honestly, like some of the action beats in this are pretty good. Um, I really liked the one there's, there's one about halfway through they're in a cave trying to sleep and he puts up like this boundary that's supposed to repel creatures, I guess. And, and that kind of doesn't go the way that he expects. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff was, was fun for me again, maybe a bit vignette at times, a little bit of a drag in the middle, but pretty serviceable. So this is a pretty big recommend for me, even before we get into spoilers, I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected to. And, uh, and I think most people would if given the chance. Yeah, I kind of, I, I feel the same way. I mean, it's, we've watched so many movies on this podcast where I, I come away thinking like, well, if you've got nothing better to do, and this is better than those. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. It's a cut above the, if you got nothing better to do for sure. But it's definitely a sit down with some popcorn and a, and a beer and poke fun at it like don't don't take it seriously because it's it does not work well if you try to take it too seriously yes no don't don't poke it with too many questions um you know try not to think about humans existing 65 million years ago before we ever showed up here on earth um, and, they speak and, the movie, and the movie doesn't address it like i really thought that there was going to be some like you know 
that the the human bodies left behind from this thing would somehow like seed our planet with human the human genome and that's how we where we really came from but no i guess the movie doesn't do any of that and is not concerned with doing any of that it's just like nope there were humans 65 million years ago flying around in space just just Sit down go and with shut it. up <laughs> don't worry about it and and honestly i know that that's beck and woods because you can do the exact same thing with the core pr- premise of a quiet place yeah. How can aliens that are blind and operate solely on sound <laughs> travel through the, through space and land on other planets and then somehow breed and kill everyone? <laughs> like, <laughs> how does that work exactly? It's the same thing when you um, watch Signs. It's a great totally, movie. Just don't think about don't, it. Don't, don't think, think about it. Don't think about it. It will ruin it for you. Just don't. Um, and, and honestly, some sci-fi premises... You're, you're kind of stuck in that because you can't ask the question and create the scenario. And, and sometimes it's an issue of time. Like we just don't have time to deal with all of that or, or I mean, reasons for characters to talk about it. You and know? this, this movie does a good job of moving fast enough that you, you don't worry about it. And you know that the right. movie's not worried about it. Um, it's a real mystery science theater. I sh- I should breathe and just relax. Yeah. Like it's just a movie. It's just a movie. Take a breath. Just relax. Like I said, have your have your online wars, watch your screen rant videos, you know, do all that you're gonna do if you must. But at the end of the day, does the movie justify itself enough for the story to be propelled forward and for me to engage in it? Yes. And so it's fine. Don't worry about it. I mean again, and and if you really want to do that, you can do that with some of the best sci fi premises ever, like Robocop. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, okay. Jurassic Park. Jurassic you can Park. Poke holes right? in that all day long. Totally. Um, but it's still, but, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. Right. And and I'm not saying that this gets the mixture quite that good, but it's it's not bad. And, and I enjoyed it far more than I I thought I would. Uh, okay. So spoilers. Uh, let's let's talk about the plot of this film. So uh, the setup is again is is focused on Adam uh, Driver's character Mills. He's this long haul, you know, sort of ship's captain. He's going to go away for several years, try and make a big chunk of change in the hopes that even though he'll be gone, his daughter can recover from this illness that she's got. And, and hopefully, you know, they can resume their family life when he gets back. Then that thread line is dropped. And then it's pretty much just the action on Earth story from there on out. Again, um, they're hit by asteroids. The ship crashes. Mills is seemingly the only survivor at first. And here's where, you know, we were talking about sort of Adam Driver's overacting or his his high level acting um and so what we really see here is mills when he thinks that everybody else is dead he basically sends two um messages to whatever company he works for the first one is you know send help send recovery and then he deletes that one and says everybody's dead don't bother sending help just leave me to die basically um and it which, was then you know, that i knew you know, since we're in spoilers, it was then that I knew that his daughter was really dead. Right. Because when we first see him, when he's first awoken from the warning that the ship has now encountered this asteroid field, like he is despondent, right? He is like asleep in bed. He looks like yeah. he's on a four week bender. He's like, been Matthew he McConaughey. He's like, he he's, can't handle the reality. 
right? No, Murph, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Murph. Oh. Uh, yes, he's been, been, uh, interstellaring himself for quite some time. And, and so he's got nothing to live for seemingly. Uh, and then he lands on the planet, he goes outside and he's got a pretty cool spacesuit. Like I got to admit, like the, the technology in this, even though it looks a bit plasticky and cheap at times is pretty good. It's got a kind of unity to it in its layout. His helmet even has this kind of odd point to it that almost kind of looks reptilian. It's, It's kind of interesting. But he goes out into the, the the world to sort of scope things out, quickly encounters uh, what I'm assuming is velociraptors. He gets attacked and, and you know, they, they sort of try to overwhelm him. And then he, you know, goes back in and is like, yeah, this place is jacked. You know, don't send help. <laughs> Just leave me to die. This is over. And, and then he discovers that there is one survivor. So he goes and finds her. It's the young girl. And of course, you know, if we've, in, if you have intuited, intuited that his daughter is dead, then, you know, we have our, you know, our Joel and Ellie set up our, you know, whatever, you know, sort of like grizzled dad, you know, young daughter, you know, redeeming the grizzled dad set up premise from the which, last 15 years, which I hope Hollywood moves away from it's got to happen at some rather point, than yeah. later, because I feel like I've seen enough of those stories. Yeah, um, I, I you know, you hit on it's, a good one, like The Last of Us is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like, I don't know, I'm I'm worried that that's going to burn out soon. <laughs> if it yeah, hasn't I mean, already started. And it's it's certainly a structure that literature has has sort of hanged its hat on for oh, yeah. know, centuries now at this People point. People love a daddy-daughter um, tale. Yeah, daddy-daughter, daddy-son. I mean, if you look at something more more high-level like, you know, Cormac McCarthy's The Road or something like that, you know, there's there's... That sort of core operation is still present here, but it seems like the daddy daughter um, angle is just it. It comes in waves with Hollywood where they just, you know, one property will come along and sort of revive that that trope. And then you have like 50 more films and television properties that are like, we could do that. Yeah. And I, I also there's a bit of me that is is it's sort of perturbed by it because it reinforces this narrative that, and I, you know, I'm going to go a little out on a limb here, I guess, but it reinforces this narrative that men are only allowed to have emotions when it comes to protecting their off gendered spawn, right? Like you're only allowed to feel things when it's about your baby girl. And, and, and that bothers me because that's bullshit. (laughs) And if you look at sort of the the flip side of like mother and child stories, those always tend to go in the opposite direction where women have too many emotions. Mm Y'all are too emotional all the time. And it kind of seems like you want to kill your kids. And that's almost always the direction that those movies take. It's like, you know, people are people and, and we have very complex emotions that hit us all in different ways. And it would be nice to just see some of those tropes challenged. Done differently. Yeah. Um, there was actually, well, to, to bring Pedro Pascal back into the discussion again. Oh, he'll love um, he, he's, he's enjoying that limelight. There was a small film starring him uh, in 2018 called Prospect. 
And I actually found a Blu-ray of this at a Goodwill or something. Uh, and it's one of those like made to order ones that Amazon does. So I don't even think it had like an official release, but like somebody put it up there like, Oh, if you want a copy of this on a Blu-ray, we'll just like mail it to you kind of thing. But it had a very similar setup to this where it was, um, a young girl who has lost her father, who was a prospector. Like basically they get permission to go to these planets and find resources and then come back and sell them. He gets injured on one of these runs. And then Pedro Pascal, who is like not a good dude. Um, like he's out there hunting prospectors to take what they find kind of thing gets sort of saddled with this young girl and they forge a bond and you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, you know how this goes, but that one was, was an independent production, relatively small as well. Um, I think it was also financed by Braun, which I think is kind of weird. Cause I think Braun financed, yeah, Braun financed this too. Um, they were one of the, the financiers behind it, but anyway, similar setup, but again, sort of smaller. And, and that one had a bit more nuance to it because the guy didn't lose his menace nor did he abandon his goals for the kid, right? Like he kind of maybe winds up there, but he doesn't immediately like that protective instinct. Like I must get you to safety doesn't really kick in in the same way. It's a much more sort of nuanced exploration of what that experience might be like. Um, and it was honestly, it was that movie that when they announced, because pe- people forget now that people were pissed when they announced that Pedro Pascal was going to play Joel. Like people were super angry about that. Um, Which I don't understand. I don't either. Like He's it's a, a generic bearded man. It's not difficult. <laughs> no, I just, maybe, maybe I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I just but don't get it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I certainly understand the appeal. He's a really cool dude. He seems like a really nice guy. Uh, but yeah, people were really angry about it, but it was that, but prospect was the one who's like, Oh, well he can definitely do that. I've already seen him do that thing in that movie of like, you know, taking care of the young girl in a difficult situation. Um, so anyway, that, that instinct kicks in and I think there was a plot point that got excised in editing because he, he continually says throughout the film, I'm going to get you on the escape pod, right? It doesn't say we like get or get us on the escape pod. He says, I'm going to get you to that escape pod. So I think there was a plot thread where his initial plan was really not to escape the planet. He was going to stay there and die. I was so anticipating Um, that. I I really thought that was going to happen where it's like, Oh, he's going to sacrifice himself. And the movie really does have you going up until the end that, that, that's how it'll work out. That's what's going to work. Yeah. And so either maybe that was a late decision or maybe, you know, like, I I don't know what, at what stage that was changed, but it is obvious to me based on the early script, as we see it in the film, that his plan was just to get her to safety, never him. Like to the point that I thought they were going to get to the escape pod and there was just going to be one chair, you know, and that was going to be it. And it was going to be like, well, get in there. And she's like, but what about you? And he's like, there's just one chair. I thought, and and he would have known that or whatever. So, so they kind of abandoned that thread and then much more becomes, I mean, we get the middle chunk of the film after he discovers the girl, um, is a series of monster encounters. Um, some better than others, right? Uh, the ones where they found ways to keep the, 
to keep the creature sort of in shadow or backgrounded obviously work a lot better than just the full CG, you know, creation on screen, generally speaking. But most of it works. Like I, I didn't have any big problems with the middle section of the film. I, I thought some of the relationship building between the two of them was, was pretty clunky, you know, just not, I don't know why they felt the need to add the complication that she couldn't speak the same language. I, that was one quote at the end. That was like, why, why did, why did you add that in other than to set up this thing where he tries to tell her that her parents are dead and she just doesn't understand. My theory is that inadvertently allows them to carry whip forward with that plot thread that he lies to her. But it also allows him to end up still looking like a much better person than if he had lied to her and she understood him. Because I suppose that's true. she didn't yeah. really follow what he was saying. And it was very easy for her to get over what he had lied about because I don't think she ever really understood it to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like, true. It's just sort of absolve him. Yeah, like it softens yeah. the blow somewhat so that, you know, she wouldn't be so angry, I guess, when they made it there and her family is dead. Yeah, she that just, she, <laughs> she just wouldn't go with him or that, you know, something worse right, would happen. Right, or some other thing would happen, exactly. It's It um, softened that conflict a lot, I guess. Yeah, I think that's true. Also, I mean, I don't want to be, listen, kid actors are terrible. They're all terrible. Um, even the really good ones are mostly terrible. Like, I don't know how they found four not terrible or not mostly terrible ones for that stranger things show, but by God, that's one of the reasons why it works is because those kid actors are somehow mostly watchable. Not always, but mostly. Um, so Ariana Greenblatt in this, she's forced because she can't speak. She can't deliver lines in the traditional sense. Um, she's forced to do a lot with her face and her body. And I think that works in her favor for the most part. Um, but I mean, it's, it's pretty weak kid acting, all things considered. I mean, she's not doing a lot. Um, she's in peril, right? I mean, that's really what is happening for most of it. She's just imperiled by something, uh, chased by a dinosaur. There's a really funny scene where she's trying to like scoot around a rock so that a bunch of pterodactyls don't see her, which is, is kind of fun. You know, like there's if just a lot was, of that. I don't if know. only there was something that could have told them that their vision is based on movement. That would have been they good. didn't have it yeah. in their universe yet. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum was 65 million years away and how he couldn't come back to give them that key piece of information. Well, the lessons we that learned is also from wrong. Jurassic Park. Yeah, it is wrong. <laughs> um, also the, Selfishly, I wish that they would have done more with plants and like making it look like it was 65 million years ago. Sure. The movie just yeah, kind of looks like it. it's in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm assuming they filmed it. Um, so the opening part, I guess kind of like the swampy area where the ship lands was Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um. And then towards the end in the more mountainous areas, they transition to Oregon. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so yeah, it's a little bit of both, uh, you know, and I, I get the, the new Orleans sort of swamps because those look, you know, like the moss on the trees and all that yeah. stuff you know, it has kind of a, has kind of a prehistoric look to it. Um, but yeah, they couldn't do a lot of set dressing. I was really, I, 
I don't want to say that I was hoping for, but I really liked that he had some equipment that was designed to help him survive, right? Like he had that box that he could put the stuff in that said like, nope, this is bad. Don't eat this. Um, you know, and then they had the water, I guess it did like water filtration and stuff as well. So I was really kind of hoping for a little bit more that, you know, I mean, if these people truly are like interstellar explorers, I can't imagine that they would be unprepared to land on a planet and figure out like what's going to kill me and what isn't, you know? So I was hoping for a little bit more of that. Although I think we do get a good amount of like cool technology in this. That's fairly low key. It's, you know, there's no, he doesn't have some kind of like, I liked his do it all tricorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He could just point at things and it would tell him what's going on. That was handy. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. He kind of uses that a bunch. That's how he figures out that a piece of the ship is still, that's how intact. you figures out that there's a big fucking asteroid head. There's the a planet. big asteroid. Because that's the other twist. And and I realized it immediately. They look up. Uh, once he finds the girl, they look up at the sky. Or maybe it was even before then. And you kind of see, like, there's something up there close to the moon, right? And you're like, oh, it's it's the asteroid. So the additional complication in 65 is not just that he's landed on prehistoric, dangerous Earth, but that he is there quite literally the day that the asteroid strikes our planet and then wipes all the dinosaurs out and kills everything. Because um, the, asteroid that is the asteroid that's the asteroid hit that ship. hit the ship. Yeah. yeah, that's the undocumented asteroid. That's right. Um, so, I mean, there's two ways you can read that. You can go, that's pretty fucking clever. Or you can go, that's the dumbest thing that I've ever thought I've ever considered in my life. I'm a bit both moment, ways about it because yeah, I, like, I, I like it. But at the same time, I was like, oh, what are the odds? huh?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like and then I was like, no, nah, I've watched the core. I've done this before. <laughs> I've, I've had this dance, you know. Um, so I thought it was like, OK, it's it was probably an unnecessary complication. You wouldn't have had to have that for the film to still have stakes and dramatic tension, but it does put a specific timeline to this, right? We can't futz around on this planet for months. We need to get out of here. Um, and then it also deals with the complication, which again is an inevitable pothole question that people would ask is, well, if that crash landed on our, our, where the, where's the remains where's the of remains? that ship, right? Cause the ship would still well. be there or you could find it. <laughs> Well, it was obliterated by an asteroid because that's exactly where the asteroid landed. And that asteroid and really did obliterate everything. <clears throat> everything. And so, uh, you know, again, I, I thought that was that was a fairly clever way to deal with sure. a, a pretty obvious plot hole about a spaceship from the past landing on Earth. Um, so, I mean, the middle part of this, I think there's some good scenes. Uh, there's a scene at one point where he does have to climb up a tree to kind of reorient themselves because he loses the signal of where they're headed. And then he ends up falling out of that tree, which even though I think that sequence is edited pretty poorly for effect, it, I mean, it's, it communicates, I mean, he like his shoulder, like gets busted out of socket. Like it was a good stunt. Let me put it that way. It looked good. It sounded good. It seemed painful. Very John Wicky. Right. Like, oh, uh, mm, uh, you yeah. know, like that kind of thing. Although, again, Adam Driver overacts a little bit and sort of his 
he kind of does his Kylo Ren, like hit himself on the side, like, and he's he like, was he's, screaming so much. And I was like, you know, the dinosaurs so probably much. would not attack you if you would just stop screaming. Just be quiet. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a bit of that there, but he gets to, to, you know, sort of use his action chops. I mean, again, Adam driver is a, a sort of physically well-built guy. He's, he's impressive in stature and, and has some experience with, you know, big stunt pictures and stuff. And, and he really does a, a good job conveying the physicality of Mills, but also that he is a bit frail, right? That he's not. Most he's people not a, cannot fall out of a tree <laughs> when they're like 40 and not hurt themselves. <laughs> right. You know, he's, he's not, he's not impenetrable. He's not Schwarzenegger. I mean, I hurt myself getting right? out of bed the other day. So totally. Yeah. Coming yeah. down the stairs, just my ankles, just like, Oh, you want to go down these? No, we don't do that anymore. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if we need to talk about the middle of the film a bunch because it is just, again, it's very vignette It's very like one, you know, problem to another, uh, the cave where they get stuck, uh, where he's, he's got the thing set up. There's like a bug that crawls inside the girl's mouth that makes it yeah. through the field. That was kind of nice. And then um, they borrowed the T-Rex head from Universal Studios and that's right. they put that outside maybe, the cave. They put that right outside the cave. Um, and then he it shoots Nick, it. Maybe it was Nick Cage's. Maybe it's the one that oh, Nick yeah. Cage shows. I like it. It's, uh, it's important that he shoots the T-Rex. And we see him does. shoot the T-Rex. But the T-Rex doesn't die. No. It Not runs because, away. Because vengeance shall because be mine. <laughs> now it has a grudge. <laughs> and it's going to wait. It's just going to wait. And I, I know they got to come out of that cave sometime. Um, so they end up crawling into a smaller cave behind the cave that they were in and encountering another dinosaur, which we get kind of the oddest fight scene in the film. And I've seen several people note this in their reviews. Um, so he's fighting a dinosaur that kind of moves in and out of the darkness. Most of his equipment has been like the girl has it. They get separated. And so he really just kind of has his weapon. And then he has like the little like guide thing that he's been using as sort of multi-tool, whatever. And so that gets down on the floor. And I think it's because he's trying to use it to help know where the creature is coming from. Cause this is like multiple angles, multiple little branch off caves that it can move through. And so a lot of people looked at it and said that they were just saving money <laughs> by not having to animate like the actual creature with Adam driver, which may be a hundred percent true. I, I don't know. I, like I said, I think he sets it down and turns it on so that he can try and have some kind of early warning system for where it's coming from. But then they use it in this like 360 spin around shot and you just see the low poly like, you know, person model and then the creature model is they're fighting and stuff. And I, I don't know if it was good or not. I didn't you know, I kind of was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to do that more than anything. But uh, I enjoyed it, it. I thought it was OK. It kind of helped them not have to settle very long on any of the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Because I I did notice, and like I'm, and I'm not nitpicky about. I swear to God, I sound like I'm one of those people. Like, excuse me, but uh, the dinosaur in this does not look accurate. Um, yeah. But the dinosaurs are not really any recognizable type of dinosaur. Whereas, like you know, you you have other dinosaur movies where it's this type attacks, and then it's this one, and then it's this one, and it, they become known, you know, for being the type that they are. But in this movie, it's like they're all just kind of raptors. Like raptors of various sizes, <laughs> rodents of unusual size. <laughs> um, 
Like they're not they're not really clearly defined except for the Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is like the only dinosaur that people are 100 percent sure they know what it is when they see it. But all the yeah. other ones, it's like this was just a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, just and again, one I'll, of I'll admit uh, and I'll admit like, you know, dinosaur science, dinosaur advancements in the, the archaeology of dinosaurs um, has has moved significantly since I studied dinosaurs as a kid. Like most of the dinosaurs that I was taught as a kid, like now We've don't renamed exist. a bunch of them. Yeah, like they're all like, oh, the Spinosaurus. Now, that wasn't actually a thing. That was actually this guy and this guy. Um, you know, and, and that's great. I mean, that's good. I mean, obviously we're going to make advancements in those fields. So these may be based on like actual dinosaurs that I am just, you know, colloquially unfamiliar with, but yeah, none of these were ones that I immediately recognized, uh, apart from the, the appropriately sized velociraptors, um, because that was something, again, my son, dinosaur expert, he pointed out, I was like, no, those are accurately sized. (laughs) <laughs> and, and uh and my daughter was like i thought they were bigger and he's like nope they were about the size of just sort of large chickens there, there was just a bunch of them they were yeah. in packs and they'd come get you you know and so he's like that actually was cool like he was he was very much like cool that's that's like an actual velociraptor so i'm sure that there was was some accuracy there or at least the references they were drawing from were somewhat accurate but it, they certainly felt willing to stretch it a little rules bit when they needed to because exactly. ultimately it was 65 million years ago you weren't there what are you going to fact no. check me that's right dr and, alan and even, grant go ahead <laughs> yeah that's right gonna gonna rip open some kid's belly with a velociraptor <laughs> cloth for, for effect again um yeah so i i, I really feel like that's and that, and that's fine and, and honestly yeah. that era we we don't have a ton of information about that era of of dinosaur right you know so um Certainly seemed like they had other goals and they were willing to stretch the like dinosaur facts to, to get where they needed to But like to get. with that fight in particular, it, it feels like that was a convenient way to not have to show a lot of the creature sure. and then have yeah. people ask questions like, what kind of dinosaur was that exactly? Because right. I'm not sure. Bite? I don't know. Uh, yeah, definitely seemed like there were some there were some concessions made there and and, and that was fine. So. Uh, eventually they reach the mountain, um, because this, this is sort of, so it's like, there's a short, like they think they say it's like 15, I think they even say 15 kilometers, which is hilarious that their distance of measure would be the same, whatever. And you know, Um, every smug European would be like, see, they even use it in outer space. It's universal. Literally. Everyone can use the metric system. So there's like a short walk on the ground and then like up this mountainside that they need to climb to get to the, the ship. And we're also introduced to uh, a geyser field, which becomes relevant later. It's very much a very, you know, we talk a lot about setup and payoff, setup and payoff in films is super satisfying, but only when you don't realize that you're being set up. And this film is very obvious. Like, yeah. Oh, this will be important later. Like, <laughs> and so like, I don't mind it. I appreciate it. At least the geyser fields just didn't appear as a third act. Like, Oh, here we are. Um, although given how it was used, I think they probably could have, and nobody would have really been upset about it. Um, so they're, you know, they have several encounters with the the various dinosaurs. They're forced apart, forced back together. You know, Mills and the young girl are obviously sort of growing closer, even though there is this sort of language barrier between them. And ultimately, when they reach the ship, the girl finds, she believes... It, Somehow Mills communicates or he, he lies to her and says that her parents, her family is on the mountain. 
And so when they get to the mountain, she'll be reunited with her family. And of course he knows that's a lie. We know that's a lie. And when they arrive, she's like, well, where's my family? And then she finds one of the broken pods, right? Presumably not one of the ones that her family was actually in, but she just realizes that, you know, family's not going to be here. So we get our, our, our little brief moment of conflict between Mills and the young girl. And, um, again, I feel like these are, these scenes could have been throwaway. They could have been really simple. And, and I feel like driver was working very hard to ground the emotional quality of at least his side of it, like what he's bringing to it pretty well. Um, I, I didn't find myself sort of questioning what he was dealing with and, and the emotions that he was bringing to it. Because at that point it's, it's now been revealed, as you said, that his daughter has died. Again, he explained, he explains this to the girl that can't understand him, which is kind of funny, but, but we know, right. We find out and uh, we find out that his daughter had actually died while he was away. He wasn't able to be with her. She got a bunch of, he got a bunch of messages from her lamenting his absence and how much she hated him for not being there for her. And, you know, again, some very interstellar, Oh no, Murph, yeah. you know, like a lot of that, like we, we get that whole kind of range of, you know, the failed father who thought he was doing the right thing, thought he was making the right choice and then ended up, you know, very much sort of ruining everything or feeling like he ruined everything. And, you know, it, it, it works. It, it's not great. Uh, I think, I, I think we can take a moment here and talk about the sort of overall direction of this movie. Beck and Woods are not novices, right? Like they're, they're, these aren't dudes who've never picked up a camera before, but I don't think this is, is very well directed on a, on like the macro scale. I, I sort of wish that the whole opening of the movie had not been there. Okay. Like, stay with me. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, Please explain. Like, I don't need to see Adam Driver and his wife and the daughter at all. Oh, like the the pre-credit, like the pre-title treatment reveal. I think that was pointless. I think you can show and convey all of these things through the little message disc things that he has. And that's enough. And maybe have a monologue from him where he's being candid and talking to the girl, knowing that she can't understand him where he just sort of reveals these things. And it's a bit more stripped back Um, because otherwise the emotional beats just weren't landing for me mm-hmm. Um, because it just, it ended up feeling out of place in this action movie where it's like, you know, if you had done a bit less, and maybe explained a bit less and shown a bit less in the beginning, this would not feel so awkward. I don't know. That was that was my feeling, was that it's like, we didn't need all of that. We could have had a much smaller story and a much smaller backstory for this character that would earn just as much closeness with this girl and explain just as well why he develops, you know, a relationship with her, I guess. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the, the shots of the planet Samaris. Um, 
the, knowing that information Didn't has no bearing on the rest of the film, right? Yeah. Like you just don't need it. Um, like it, it establishes Mills, sure, but we, apart from giving us a view of like a, let's go ahead and say like psychologically healthy Mills, apart from sort of seeing what that is, it doesn't really provide any net benefit to the, to the movie, uh, in terms of like what we understand about the story. Cause you know, again, it's, if they had followed up, like I, I sort of half expected, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen at a certain point, but I sort of half expected that we would go to this film with Mills and his wife and new daughter on that <laughs> beach, you know, and him sort of retelling, you know, you know, cause like, that's what this is. This is his second chance to have a kid, right? Like that's what is being developed. Yeah. And I'm so glad they didn't do that. Yeah. No, it's not, would have been totally unnecessary. This goes for like, more of a Ripley and Newt kind of thing where it's like, totally, ah, you will totally. be my new daughter. Yes. I have adopted you. It shall be done. <laughs> And of course, the entire audience is like, "Yes, you got yeah. a new daughter. New daughter. You, you fucked it. up the first one, but you got another one here, buddy. <laughs> um, you just got to teach her how to speak that good old English. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad they didn't do that. But I was like, well, what else does this scene do except set up some kind of parallel?" seen at the end where we see these characters sort of, you know, back to normal or, or resuming yeah. their lives or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, you really could have started this movie with the first asteroid hit on the ship. Like there's no reason, there's no reason not to, I mean, really. Um, and, and, and then just go from there. Like we, we learn everything else as the movie progresses regardless. And I um, think, I think that would have, broken up the action appropriately and maybe in the middle section where it starts to feel like it's just action scene followed by action scene followed by action scene maybe bringing some of that you know character backstory and character development sort of interstitial maybe that would have helped differentiate those scenes a little bit maybe i i think so yes um and then you could couple the emotion of him revealing this information to the girl, you know, like we haven't seen him because really the first chunk of this movie when he's by himself is him quite literally processing this grief again and then contemplating suicide. Yeah. Whereas if we could have seen all of this sort of the grief reveals itself, he processes it and then he makes a decision in the moment to move forward. I mean, that might, it could have condensed some of those things and, and made those scenes more impactful as a result. Um, but, you know, regardless, he, he makes that reveal. There is some moments of tension, but he's going to get the girl to safety. He seemingly now wants to get to safety. And um, then the asteroids, the, the, or the meteors, I guess, begin to fall and, and they get struck by one and they get knocked off the mountain. Um, this film has a bit of an issue with, geography because again supposedly this was a very long trip it took him a, a day day and a half i guess but um they fall off the mountain there's it's a, a very con- short trip yeah and, and then they're like right back at the geyser fields yeah in the beginning which i thought was a little strange uh, it Maybe does those lead were different to a, geysers 
could have been different geysers, right? Maybe the first geyser field was supposed to just set up that this is what these are. You've seen so one geyser. You've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. And, and if that's the case, that's totally fine. That would that actually makes more sense to me. It's not how I read it when he saw them. It's, like, oh, these yeah, are the it's same not, geysers. It's not at all. And And in fact, there are several points in the movie where it feels like it will just sort of skip forward and... And cut out, you know, the long journey part of it. Um, and this right. this was one of them where it's like, huh, they took it was so difficult for them to get to the ship. And now, now they're, they're just right just back at like, the beginning. That's convenient. It's fine. Hmm. Um, so, again, perhaps it was a, a yet another geyser field, one of the many geyser fields of the the geyser flats. It was a big problem back then. years ago. <laughs> big problem. So they. There is a, a big, you know, CG battle at the end, uh, you know, to, to talk briefly about the the directing of the project. I, I think it's the scene to scene transitioning is, is for the most part fine. Again, I think the problem with it is that the journey in the middle, the reason why it feels a bit disconnected and slow is that we aren't, I mean, these characters aren't talking to each other. So there's nothing to sort of be like, oh, we need to do this next. Right. There's, you know, it's like the, the scene, it's like the transition stuff is all missing. It's just, well, we, we know where we're going. So we're going to do A, B, C, D, and E. And then you're just going to kind of follow us along and hopefully you can figure out what's going on. From a shot standpoint, I think this movie looks pretty good. Uh, the cinematography was done by Salvatore uh, Totino. So I assume that there were a lot of pizza rolls. Um, but, and he has That's done, good. he's done quite a bit in the last few years. He's, he's most known for his work with Ron Howard. Like he did most of Ron Howard's early two thousands movies, like Cinderella man and angels and demons, Da Vinci code and all that stuff. So it's, it's perfectly fine. It looks pretty good. I I think some of the lighting at the end, once the asteroids are starting to fall during that last big fight scene, I think some of that lighting doesn't look, it doesn't look very real, you know, like it, it looks like, Oh, we've got this big, this big light sort of on a crane and we're just going to kind of swing it this direction. Mm. It looks kind of like that, you know, which again, in terms of budget, it's probably a limitation. Uh, you know, it's not like this is Roger Deakins out there with his 17,000 light bars, illuminating, illuminating, you know, fog to make it look like something's on fire. Right. Like that's, that's not what we're doing <laughs> here, but, um, but I mean, in general, visually, I think the last big fight between driver and the dinosaurs is executed fairly well. Um, the T-Rex the, that holds a grudge comes back. It does. Yes. That's kind of like the big, the big thing is that the T-Rex that he shot in the eye with his gun <laughs> comes back. Back for blood. For vengeance. <laughs> That's right. He can't, he can't let it go. Right. He can't. You took my eye from me. Now I'll my. take your life. <laughs> And so uh, there is a chase, a foot chase, where Adam Driver, very injured Adam Driver, is just like um, running and and jumping through these geyser fields. And then the girl who was inside the ship, and he tells her to just leave, to like hit the launch command, just go. Um, she We had seen her much earlier in the film, like a long time ago make some kind of like poisoned spike out of a bone with uh, whatever berries they had, had figured out what bad to eat. And so she shows up right at the end and she stabs the dinosaur in the eye because it's already lost one in eye. his other eye. And oh. so she stabs it in the other eye. 
and 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 now it's blind and then it gets geysered to death as as it's, it's really brutal it's a pretty brutal death like the skin's hanging off it's it's sort of well, getting torn to pieces i felt really bad for the t-rex well he shouldn't have come for vengeance yeah yeah i mean that's <laughs> that's, that's really a lesson to us all vengeance will uh, get you vengeance will Can't kill let that all eat you alive um I did want to call out that the production designer on this, uh, Kevin Ishioka, is is a name that if you have watched uh, a lot of movies, you you probably recognize for sure. Uh, he's been production designer on on a bunch or, or art direction. I think this might have been his first step to full production designer, but he's been art director and art department on like. He was supervising art director on Tron three. He worked on avatar, you know, he's done some really good stuff. He works with Christopher Nolan a bunch. And, and I did want to call out that I think that this movie has a nice look to it. Like again, the, 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 the sets, the practical stuff, the, the overall look of the film, I think is pretty solid, especially given its budget range. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. You know, because this is, is a movie that, I mean, generally that's where cheap sci-fi falls down is that your cheap sci-fi looks cheap because where you're not going to be able to spend a lot of money is on production design. That's one of the things that George Lucas got right about star Wars is that he knew that if you built believable sets and believable looking worlds, you could kind of get away with a lot in terms of sci-fi. Right. And, and, and he may, he rolled that dice and it worked and, you know, I, I think that that's a good lesson to remember if you're working inside a big genre like this. Um, establish something that has enough limitations that you can actually make what you've got look good. And I, I think it, it works for the most part. So the big final scene happens. They 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 chemically flay this dinosaur <laughs> and murder so it. And uh, but it doesn't matter because it's going to get killed by a big asteroid anyway. That's true. And so they they take off the the in the the escape pod and they get to space and they they like barely miss this asteroid, which I think is kind of hilarious, you know. Uh, and it lands and and the entire planet blows up. They see this huge you know nuclear explosion style uh, from space, and and they escape. And then it really just kind of ends. They zoom off into space. We get a nice uh, title sequence. Of you know the the world laid to waste, a big dinosaur body laying burning, <laughs> <from it. laughs> and then just over the as the credits roll, we see like the progression Mammoths. towards towards humanity, right? You know the ice age, etc. Uh, and it was it was pretty good. You know, I was kind of like, how far is this going to go? Are we going to see us, you know, to the future or or something like that? Are we going to see another, you know, a human spaceship take off at some point into the go find Samaras or whatever? But no, we didn't go that far. It was just, we get a shot of like Colorado city or something. I don't know. Yeah. And that's uh, it. But yeah. I mean, and, and that's it again. This is a swift film. There's, there's not a ton to, to divulge or to break down. I, I think it's a solid performance from Adam driver, given what he's got to work with um, a pretty decent kid performance alongside him. Uh, all things considered, even though it has all the limitations of a kid performance. Uh, and and a pretty fun, swift, you know, sort of sci-fi adventure story. Definitely in the B-movie, you know, schlock mode, right? Like, I don't feel like Beck and Woods had grandiose ideas 
before this. I think they knew full well what this was. At least that's the impression I get. I think maybe there might have been an early revision that had more like emotional depth, maybe uh, a little bit more about the sort of familial relationship and the bond being built between Adam Driver and the young girl. But um, I think most of that eventually just got kind of filtered out and they stripped it down to this, you know, sort of much more digestible B-level action film. Um, and I think it works in its advantage. I don't think I want this to have more. Like, I think Adam Driver brought it enough as much as he could. And and that's fine, right? We don't need, you know, Shakespearean drama layered in with our dinosaur action movie. At least I have never wanted that. I've never wanted yeah. that. You never wanted him to pick up the flayed dinosaur skull and <laughs> give the Hamlet speech I, I, to you be know, or not to be. Maybe for like an after credits bonus. But no, yeah. no, not in the film. Maybe I just mean, a, a behind the scenes shot of Adam Driver's process. <laughs> I really wanted to get to know the dinosaurs. Yeah, I really I didn't, didn't feel like I, could, them. I didn't feel like I could chemically flay it with a red hot geyser unless I truly understood his perspective. Yeah. I mean, for me, I didn't know anything about this movie. I'd never heard of this movie. You just told me the title and you said <laughs> we could do this movie. And then I, I, I watched it. I didn't even look at the poster. And the only thing I saw that was was that Adam Driver was in it. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, huh. And it was it was surprising. I I had a good time, and so rarely can I say that about any science fiction movie that comes out. Most sure. of them are so bad, just yeah, garbage. I mean, and they're just all franchise films. Now, yeah, if it's is- not a franchise film, it's 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 much worse than this. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Like that was the big, um, that was the big thing for me is that, you know, this, the B movie genre, the great thing about it, right. And why it was so important for film in the fifties, sixties and seventies is because those B movie experimentations, whether they were Roger Corman or, you know, the, the hammer horror films or, or whatever, these B movie films where they had these kind of big ideas, but poor execution became the groundwork for the generation of directors that, that we celebrate on podcasts like this, your John Carpenter's, your George Lucas, your Steven Spielberg's right. Like, because those were the movies that, you know, John Carpenter saw the thing, you know, the 1950s version and said, you know, that's a great idea, but they were hampered by all these bad special effects. They were hampered by these low budgets what if I take that idea and I do it now with, with more. Right. And, and that's the, that's a great B movie. Right. So maybe 30 years from now, some kid who saw 65 is going to be like, we're going to come back to that idea and we're going to do it better. Right. We're going to, we're going to try it one more time. And, and, and I think that that's why B movies should exist is because there are these experiments. Maybe they don't work. Maybe they don't, they don't land on every angle or every component but there's still enough there. There's this core idea that you're like, yeah, that was fun. You know, that was a good time. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody left, you know, the original fly and was like, that was the greatest piece of filmed entertainment I've ever seen. But they're like, you know, but that was a cool ass idea. You know, David Cronenberg rolled out of that film at some time. And when he was a teenager and he's like, that was a cool ass idea. But if I did, but I it, could do it and make it more disgusting. I might do it like this. And I'll, <laughs> I'll put this guy named Jeff Goldblum in it. And and he's and eventually going to tell us about dinosaurs. He's eventually going to tell us about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, like it's it's just one of those things that I think that we need space within film for that. And 
And so I'm, I'm kind of sad that 65 didn't find an audience that it just kind of got barreled over by this, this franchise thing that shouldn't be a scream. Shouldn't be a franchise. It shouldn't be a franchise because that was the whole point. The whole point was that we've ruined these movies by turning yeah. them into these franchises. And it was the joke. Like that was the joke that Kevin Williamson was making. It was like, we just keep doing this and here we are. But I, 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 it shouldn't be a franchise, but I do, I do enjoy them. The scream five was pretty good Four is mm. I don't, I don't get four. Mm. Uh, I'll watch six because sure. I, I don't have anything better to do. Uh, but and that's what they're banking on. You know, that's what they're banking on. That's <laughs> how they keep you going. You're part of the problem. <laughs> I am part of the problem. I, I definitely am part of the problem. Uh, but you know, this, so I appreciate what the, this, I appreciate that this film is trying to occupy a very small space in film, right? That they, they kind of had an idea, they had a goal. And for the most part, I feel like they reached it. I feel like they accomplished what they set out to do with this yeah. movie. Um, I like that this is a movie I've never seen before. Yeah. I mean, but that, it feels that like it should have existed. It feels like something that I should have seen by now, but I haven't. So in that regard, I, I'm all about it. I want to see more things that I have never seen. Exactly. Like, and if it takes, you know, a limited budget and a producer that believes in you, like Sam Raimi or whatever, then that's totally fine. Um, I, I, I want more stuff like this. Cause I feel like this is a space that can get really interesting and where you're going to see directors you know, potentially stumble across formulas that, you know, if, if your goal is to create a franchise, this is where it has to start in some cases, right? If you come out of the gate, 150 million, $200 million in to build your franchise and it fails. I mean, that's the mummy, right? That's Tom Cruise's the mummy. Like we spent 300 million out of the gate to build a franchise and we kind of screwed up because we didn't even get the first one. Right. Right. That like was we, a bad movie. <laughs> oh dude, that, that's that was one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst. Um, and you know, but, but if we get a 65 two, right, which, yeah, I'd watch be that. 65 times too. I'd, I'd totally check it out. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. Right. Somebody else crashes to, to, you know, the planet and it's, it's 200 years later and, and, you know, nature or they is go back even or further whatever. And it's a hundred million years ago. Sure. And there yeah, was another yeah, visitor. <laughs> this who, time who with cares, different dude? kinds of dinosaurs. They land there and there's another alien race that lands there at the same time. <laughs> and then they have to fight over the dinosaurs. Keep whatever. going guys. I mean, like, again, it's, it's a fun space to try and occupy. Um, what I'd really like to see out of this space, what I think, what I think's not being tapped here is that there is just a tremendous amount of good short form science fiction out there right now. Like short form sci-fi magazines are actually at a kind, I'm not going to say a heyday, like they're all struggling. But in terms of the quality of the work that they're publishing on the regular, you know, like, you know, Uncanny Magazine, Apex, um, even the old biggies, you know, Beyond Ceaseless Skies, uh, you know, Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, whatever. Like, there's so much, there's so much out there that, that can be adapted into these kinds of movies. And, you know, like, I get Beck and Woods, like, they were hot, they had ideas, you know, they're screenwriters, they know what they're doing. But what I'd really like to see is someone sort of look at the market of science fiction or horror or, or whatever and and really dig deep for a story that would work well in this in, in this range. 
and then just run it right instead of having to have an, you know a completely original script idea because i'm going to be super honest not not all script writers who are good at script writing have good ideas right uh yeah I would, I mean, I feel conf, I feel confident that I can say that and be backed up by many, many examples. Um, you know, so I, I really feel like, it, you know, what if Beck and Woods, you know, just read a lot of really good sci-fi and said like, oh, this is a story that we can really adapt well. This is, this fits us. And then they take that and they adapt it. That to me seems like a maybe better option than trying to be wholly original. But in the absence of that, of that pipeline existing, I'm perfectly happy to watch these mid-budgeted you know, sort of like original idea films, whatever they Same. are. Um, horror has had it is, is having its heyday. So a lot of like original horror is coming out for, for cheap. Um, but again, horror is in a slightly different space and that they can be smaller. Like you don't have to do as much where sci-fi has these like buy-ins, right? There's a certain, there's certain things that you need to sort of have in place for it to be considered sci-fi on a modern scale. Um, and this movie is able to have that and still do some interesting things too. Um, but in any case, like I, I, I enjoyed 65. It's, it's not a complex film. It's, it's not a complicated film in any, in any way. And, and I feel like that's a benefit ultimately. Like it's good that it's, it's just this very straightforward thing and that works in its favor. So I found myself enjoying it, especially because it was kind of a surprise and I, I kind of had no, no expectations going in. And so that kind of left me being like, yeah, this is, this is good. This is just good. It's, it's a fun time. And, and some movies, that's all they need to be. I agree. And I had a similar experience. Like I said, I knew nothing about this going in. Um, so I, I enjoyed this. Like I, I have a problem with franchise films. Like I, I just, I, I can't seem to, dedicate the headspace to watching more than one movie <laughs> on any given <laughs> subject. So it's, it's always refreshing to see something, even if it's not perfect, it's always nice to see something that is relatively original. Like, like I said, I've never seen this before and I don't regret having seen it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at too. Um, I'll admit I like Adam driver. Um, my, my, my wife is a big Adam driver fan um, a lot of ladies from, are from back in the girls days. That's where, where she kind of uh, encountered him the first time. And and we, we watched a, I watched a good chunk of girls with her. I didn't, I didn't love it as much as she did, but, um, but Adam driver was by far one of the most electric components of that show, in my opinion. Um, so I, I totally get it, but you know, he's, I think it's kind of cool that he has proven that he can be a leading man and a capable leading man in a variety of different kinds of roles. Right. Yeah. I know we talked about that a little bit last time about sort of like your, your Cary grants, right. The people who, you know, aren't just showing up and everything, but are capable of doing lots of different things. And, and Adam driver feels kind of like, like that guy. It can't just be Tom you know? Cruise. We need other guys who can, yeah, who can be I mean, Hollywood stars. That's maybe. right. And maybe, maybe drivers, the next guy up. I don't know. It, I guess it really depends on him right, and what he wants. Uh, he doesn't seem like a guy that's sort of in love with Hollywood. Like that's what I'll say about Tom Cruise. And we, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but like Tom Cruise genuinely loves. He was Hollywood be and movie, movie making. Yeah. Like, and the other thing is that people don't realize is Tom Cruise watches everything that comes out, yeah. everything. 
like he watches a movie from what he tells people and what people have said about him. He watches a, a new movie every day, like every day. That's like his evening activity after filming's done or whatever is he's watching a movie. And that's how he stays abreast of like, these are the trends. These are the people who are hot that, I mean, like as a producer, it makes a ton of sense because it informs him of the landscape of what's successful and what's not. But I've read more than a few interviews of people being like, yeah, I met Tom Cruise. And he's like, yeah, I saw your movie. It was great. Right. You were fantastic in it. And he's like, even if it was like a huge bomb and like nobody saw it, Tom Cruise is like, no, you were great. I love you. I want to work on something with you in the future, like that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's a reason why Tom Cruise is at the position that he's in is because I think genuinely deep down for in, in whatever Tom Cruise calls love, (laughs) (laughs) I think he, the one thing that he may truly love is, is making movies and the idea of Hollywood, right? Like, I think he truly loves that and, and he may not love anything else. I, I don't know, but that is his wheelhouse. And, and that's why I think he's sort of risen to that status. Um, will Adam driver ever want to be that? Probably not, but he has a magnetism. He has an electricity about his his on-screen presence. Yeah. Like he's, he's got it. Um, so I'm, I'm always excited to see kind of what he's doing next. And if he does wind up in the Marvel franchise, Uh, Marvel will will be better for having him in it, but whether or not he can rescue Marvel from, it just means Where I won't see any more of his movies because I can't follow I any of them. If I don't know, I, we could have a whole discussion yeah. about Marvel. Someday and, and we'll stuff. have a big um, two part episode on Marvel movies. Yeah, we could a do retrospective, that. a retrospective of the Marvel phases. And I, again, I'm, I'm not as down on them as a lot of people are. I think guardians guardians comes out next week. Um, and that the success of that film, if that film is able to be the kind of blockbuster that Marvel used to be able to produce fairly regularly, then I think we're probably okay. But if it, if it flash pans, which I don't think is going to happen guns gun is by far one of the most interesting directors that Marvel has employed and allowed to remain employed in their system. And I, I just, James Gunn can make bad movies. I don't want to say that he's perfect. Like some of the older James Gunn stuff is like, eh, it's fine. Um, but at the very least he has a voice. Like he has like a perspective that he tries to communicate through his films. And, and I honestly think, I don't think superhero fatigue is real, but I think that people who love superhero movies, I think what we're seeing now is the people who love all of them unabashedly without reservation, that group is actually very small. Probably but true. if you, but if you make a good movie, lots of people will come see it. Right. <laughs> but Marvel hasn't really been making good movies. They've just been making movies for that small group of people that are like, I think Marvel's great. And unfortunately I fall into that camp um, for most things. So I'm, I'm kind of on the, I'm on the line, <laughs> you know, hook, line and sinker. <laughs> but, um, but ultimately that's, that's not mainstream success. Like you're not going to break over in that way. Um, so I'll be very curious. I'm excited about guardians. The guardians films have definitely been amongst my favorite of, of the Marvel output. Uh, I think one is vastly better than two in my opinion. Two is good, but I think two doesn't work as well as the original. Um, 
and and so I'm I'm kind of interested to see where three goes and and I don't know we'll find out but uh, but yeah we'll we'll see if Marvel uh, sort of backs the the money dump truck up to Adam Driver's uh, I'm sure palatial uh, Hollywood home and and where things go from there uh, he could be a great Mister Fantastic that's possible I I don't know um, I. That character has that character has been done wrong so many times that I don't know if the right version actually could exist. You know, I think that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Uh, but if anybody could do it, let's put it that way. If anybody could do it in the right set of circumstances, Adam Driver is probably capable. Maybe but we'll see. Who knows? I also heard that they were going to offer Bela Kunis Invisible Woman. And then uh, I'm like, oh, uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, but who knows, right? All of these casting rumors, it's all it's all BS anyway. Ugh. Although one interesting note as a fan, um, I'll, I'll I don't think we've ever talked about this show on here, but I'll say it. Uh, True Detective season one, one of the best seasons of television ever written. Uh, it's brilliant from top to bottom. Matthew McConaughey, Woody Har- Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson give just world class performances. These two detectives. It's a great show. One of the best written shows ever. Uh, Nick Pitz- Nick Pizzolatto has been asked, presumably at the behest of Mahershala Ali, who starred in True Detective season three, to write the Blade movie. Ooh! So that sounds that potentially neat. cool, right? Um, Pizzolatto is a good idea, man. We all kind of know that season two of True Detective went real bad. And most of that apparently got hung on Nick Pizzolatto. Um, but now we know that Kerry Fukunaga is like a huge piece of shit. Um, just a sexual abuser and a horrible person. So maybe it had more to do with Fukunaga and his sort of disastrous leaving of that show. But anyway, so Pizzolatto is, as, as the, the writer of the Blade film could be very interesting. Uh, it might change that from a, another sort of Wesley Snipes action movie into something where we actually see characters like experience growth. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Truly it would. But all right. So uh, to wrap up 65, uh, a big recommend for me. I like 65 quite a lot. Um, not amazing, not, you know, next level awesome, but a good time, lots of fun anchored into a solid performance and some decent production design, especially. I agree. Um, I think it was a surprise, and I always like being surprised. It it is nice. It doesn't happen that much anymore. We know no. so much about these movies before they ever appear that it's kind of nice to just kind of walk in blind. You know, I used to do that right when I didn't have children and I had even more time somehow than I have now. I would just go to a movie and be like, "Yeah, I'll just I'll see this. I'll just see this. This this sounds and, good." And and sometimes you'd walk out and be like, "Damn, that was amazing." Uh, that's kind of what happened with Fifth Element. I just knew Bruce Willis was in it. Event that Horizon. Was pretty much it. Yeah, Event Horizon was probably the biggest one because we just went to that. <laughs> it was like I, you actually oh. said the words. Well, we we could see Spawn and be disappointed, or we could see this B grade action sci fi flick and maybe have a good time. And then we were traumatized for life, and it was great. Traumatized for life, but definitely one of our favorite films. Um, yeah, the only thing I knew about Event Horizon. Um, back when I used to watch Entertainment Tonight for all of my entertainment business news, um, I remember seeing they were doing an interview with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, 
and it was a two it was like a dual uh a dual segment on event horizon and virus <laughs> the jamie lee curtis movie <laughs> because they were both like sci-fi horror films getting made at the same time and it kept kind of intercutting i think and then it came back to Lawrence Fishburne and it was this shot of him like in his chair on the set and it's all like, you know, dark in the background. And he was like, no, there are actually days when I come to set and I'm, I'm just genuinely scared. I'm just scared. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I want to be here. It's, it was like this very legitimate, like, no, I'm, uh, sometimes I'm pretty scared. Yeah. I don't, I don't really like this. <clears throat> it was, it was great. It was really good. And I remembered seeing that and I was like, oh, I bet that is scary then. And uh, it was correct. Yay. So. Uh, oh, on a side note with Paul W.S. Anderson, I guess we'll throw this out here too. Uh, Peter Pan and Wendy has has uh, started streaming on Disney Plus, uh, starring uh, Ever Anderson, the oldest child of Mia Jovovich and Paul W.S. Anderson as Wendy. Uh, oh, we, watched, we watched the <laughs> we watched the trailer, and I was like, "That looks like a young Mia Jovovich, like a lot." And then I checked, <laughs> they didn't have like Disney plus doesn't put actor names in the trailers or anything. And I looked, so I looked up and sure, sure as shit it was ever Anderson. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. Holy crap. Mia Jovovich's kid is now an actor. Oh, wow. Well, I uh, haven't watched that one yet. Don't know, but uh, it's David Lowry. It's probably not too bad. We'll see. Uh, okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap this up. Um, I, I mean, you can still get me at Twitter at T Baskin, uh, but uh, man, uh, Twitter sucks. Yeah. So bad. Uh, just nothing but blue check bot accounts everywhere. And I, I can barely stand to be on the platform. So I have requested an invite to Blue Sky, uh, which is Jack's new thing, which looks just, I mean, it's just Twitter again. <laughs> Just yeah, they're all just Twitter. Twitter. I mean, I have I, accounts on on all the sites, and they're all they're all just Twitter, you know. Yep, it's just just Twitter again. <laughs> uh, Twitter sans Elon. Uh, that's pretty much all they are. But uh, so you can still get me there if you need to. Uh, you can always email us at failurepeace at gmail dot com. That might be a better approach uh, if you do need to get a hold of us for anything. Uh, but where can they find you to express their? Uh, they're, they're discontent over your feelings about CG non-existent dinosaurs. Um, you can find me regularly posting about dinosaurs still on Twitter, still, um, at Baskinator, but I'm also on every other social media platform because I really like to make my love of dinosaurs known. So, you know, do it. Instagram, Facebook, I think I even have a Tumblr you know, we should all just shit. go back to just Tumblr. Reach out. Yeah, Let's just go, go back, back to, Tumblr. to Tumblr and post gift Tum- sets. That's Tumblr what I do. Is where we we should all be. That's that was gifts. <laughs> that's the future of social media. Is just going back to Tumblr. But yes, you can certainly get a hold of us, uh, and we will be back in the very near future with the discussions of another potential failure piece. Right? Because even if they aren't the best, there might still be something worthwhile. Uh, but yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.